Well, hey there, Overflow Church family. Welcome again to Overflow Online. If you're just tuning in with us or maybe it's your first time, my name is Corey. I am one of the pastors that gets to lead this phenomenal church based right here in Southwest Michigan. And I just wanna say thank you guys for tuning in, whether you're watching right there on YouTube. By the way, don't forget to like and subscribe. Maybe you're tuning in on Facebook. Don't forget to hit that little like and share button wherever it is. Great ways to stay in touch and share what God is doing. Or maybe you're joining us on Church Online, whatever platform, man, hop in the chat room. I would encourage you to engage during this time. As a matter of fact, I wanna tee you up with this question. How many of you, right now in the chat room, give me a yes, give me an amen, give me a hands up emoji if you want this. How many of you wanna see God's favor in your life? Give me an amen, give me a yeah, let me know in the chat room right now. How many of us wanna see God's favor on our marriages, God's favor on our careers, God's favor on our family? I wanna see God's favor on Overflow Church. Well, today, we're gonna be talking about how to find God's favor. And we're revving up right now for Christmas Eve. By the way, Christmas Eve is going to be amazing. We are going to be gathering together online. I know you'll all be here. Man, invite someone you know to watch. Send that little link out. It's going to be a phenomenal time of worship and word as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Joel and the team have a lot of fun stuff planned. I cannot wait for it. But, but on December 24th and 25th, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But I don't know about you, but, but the birth of Jesus is a miracle. And when God moves in miraculous ways, one of the ways we can see how to bring about God's miracles in our lives, if we look at the moment it began, the origin story. In Luke chapter 1, we find the origin story, the beginning, the moment it all began for the miracle of Jesus' birth. So we're going to look into Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, I think we find a key to unlocking God's favor in our lives. So if you're ready, open up your Bibles, turn to it, and we're going to get started right now in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has already conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, has, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, right there in that short little passage out of the beginning of Luke, we see the beginning, the origin story to Jesus's great journey to all that we're going to be celebrating on Christmas. But this is how it started. Nine months before Jesus's birthday, this is what kicked off this monumental event that changed the course of humanity. 
And so I just want to kind of take us verse by verse through here and see if we can learn a little bit about what God's favor really looks like in our lives. So just to start, it says in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. On the count of three, everybody say sent or type it there in the chat room. One, two, three. Sent, right? God, God sent Gabriel. Now, now, my first point here before we really dig in is, did you know we serve a sending God, like a sending God? Like God is a God who sends. He sent Abraham out, uh, out to find the promised land. He sent Israel across the wilderness. He sent Gabriel as a messenger. He sent Jesus to save us. And today, via Jesus, he gave us a great commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples. In other words, even Jesus sends us. We serve a sending God. And I just wanted to tell somebody today, if God is sending you, which if you've said yes to Jesus, he is sending you to something. He is sending you to someone. And there's a lot implied in that simple little word. I think about when I was a kid, um, well, I say a kid, I was a 16 year old. Um, you know, I just started to drive and I had like an old, old Jeep Cherokee. That was my first car. I loved it. Never knocked those old first cars, man. Everybody remembers their old first car. I had a little 96 Jeep Cherokee and I love my Jeep. But as soon as I started to drive, my dad made it my role, my responsibility to drive my little brother around. I have a brother that's two years younger than me and you know, I had to take him to and from school and to and from practice. It just kind of came with the deal of getting a car. And so there was this one afternoon where I got home early because my sports practice was canceled and my brother was still at basketball practice. And my dad said, hey, you need to go pick your brother up. I said, okay. And I was excited to drive. So I run and grab my keys and I run out the front door and I find a problem. And the problem was that my Jeep was parked in the front of the driveway and my dad had a nice truck, like a new truck. And the nice new truck was parked behind my Jeep. And so I kind of came in and I said, oh, dad, I, I, I can't go pick up Sean. Um, I'm blocked in the driveway. I, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I'll never forget this moment. My dad takes the nice truck keys and he tosses them to me. And it was like a slow motion movie, like dun, 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 dun. Like I remember those keys soaring through the air and I extended my hand to catch those keys. And when I grasped those keys, I was like, I get to drive the new truck. Now in that moment, as my dad handed me those keys, he was sending me to pick up my brother. But as soon as he tossed those keys to me and sent me to pick up Sean, my brother, there was a couple things that were implied. The first thing that was implied is that I had a purpose, right? My purpose for getting those keys and being sent was to pick up my brother. On the count of three, everybody say purpose. One, two, three, purpose. I wrote in my notes, the, the next thing it implied is that I had a choice. My dad tossed me those keys and I very well could have caught them and tossed them right back and said, no thanks dad, I'm good. Now, in my household, that would not have gone well. I probably would have been punished and had my keys taken away, but nevertheless, I did have a choice. Everybody say choice on the count of three. One, two, three, choice. And then finally, I wrote in my notes here, what it implied mostly is trust. Trust, right there in the chat room, right? Trust. Because when my dad tossed me those keys, he was saying, I trust you to go pick up your brother. 
I trust you to come right back home. I trust you to be faithful with the task and accomplish it. And I trust you with the resources I've given you. As soon as my dad sent me, it implied purpose, it implied a choice, and it implied trust. Did you know that you are sent? If you've said yes to Jesus today, God has sent you to your neighbor. God has sent you to your neighborhood. God has sent you to the people around you. And because he has sent you, I want you to know this. There is a purpose in and on your life. You have purpose. Not only do you have purpose, you have a choice. You and I have a choice. Will we fulfill the mission we've been sent on? Or we will, will we say no to it? And ultimately, and the most important thing to me that it says is that the father of all mankind, the God and creator of the universe, trusts you. He believes in you so much that he trusts you with the mission he has sent you on. And the mission he has sent us all on is to go and save the world, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God has a purpose on your life. You have a choice to say yes to it. And he trusts you and believes in you to accomplish it. Right there in the first verse, we see so much truth, but it gets even better than that. Because again, we're talking about favor. We all want God's favor on our lives, right? We want our, God's favor on our marriage. We want God's favor on our finances. We want God's favor on our church. So where do we find favor? Where do we find favor? Well, right here, it, it's so interesting. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to the city of Galilee named Nazareth named Nazareth. Now the title of my message today is simple. Name your Nazareth. Name your Nazareth. God sent Gabriel to the city of Galilee, to the city of Nazareth. Now what was Nazareth? When we hear that word, like we have association with it. Like if you've been in church for a long time, you may have heard it. Or if you've gone to, you know, church on Christmas Eve or Easter, you know, you're like, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, which meant Jesus was from Nazareth. So we know it. But I, I, I wrote down some of the notes on Nazareth as I studied from scholars and historians. And this is what they tell us about Nazareth in that time. It reads, Nazareth was a town in southern Galilee, about 15 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee and 20 miles from the Mediterranean westward in the basin hills of the lower Galilee. In biblical times, check this, Nazareth was a small agricultural town settled by a few dozen families. The town is not mentioned once in the Old Testament, an insignificant village too small to be noted in the list of settlements of the tribe of Zebulon out of Joshua 19. Nazareth is not included in the 45 cities of Galilee that was mentioned by Josephus, the historian, and its name is missing from the 63 towns of Galilee, from the 63 towns of Galilee mentioned in the Talmud. Nazareth was isolated in ancient times because no trade routes ran through it. Therefore, the city had no economic value. Did you catch that? It said Nazareth was settled by a few dozen families. How many of you watching are from a small town? Like I tell people I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, but that's not true. I grew up in Pace, Florida, a suburb of Pensacola, Florida that nobody's ever heard about because it's a small town. I went to a high school that was across the street from a cotton field. How many small town folks do I have out there, right? We, we could all probably relate for, to that. Maybe you're from the country and you feel like, man, I'm from nowhere. Nazareth was a nowhere town. And did you catch the words 
that the historian used to describe Nazareth, it said it was insignificant. It said it was easy to miss. It was easy to overlook and it had no economic value, seemingly no value, insignificant, overlooked and undervalued. Nazareth was insignificant, overlooked and undervalued. But yet that's exactly where God sent Gabriel, his messenger, to pour out his favor and proclaim his favor on Mary's life. And it begs the question, is that how God normally works? And it only takes a slight perusal through scripture to see that this is a pattern with God. You look at the father of the Israelite nation, an old man married to an old woman, insignificant, overlooked, no one knew their name, and undervalued, nothing good can come from them. And yet he brought his entire people from that couple. You look at David, right? The, the nation of Israel, the, the preeminent patriarchal king. What happened? The prophet Samuel went to David and it was the insignificant younger brother, the one that was overlooked and the one that was undervalued that God chose to be the king over Israel. Over and over again, this is a way that God works. He looks for the insignificant, the overlooked and the undervalued in the world, the insignificant, overlooked and undervalued places of our life. And that's where he pours out his favor. So it begs the question, what's your Nazareth? We have got, if we want to see God's favor in our life, we have got to name our Nazareth. What is the area of your life, of my life, of our lives that feels insignificant, overlooked, and undervalued? It makes me think of my mom. You know, my mom growing up, um, we didn't have much, but, uh, you know, probably, you know, 70, 80% of the time when we'd go to school and in primary and elementary school, my mom would make us a packed lunch. You know, a little ham and cheese sandwich, sometimes just a cheese sandwich, maybe some chips and, and a little juice box. And many of you out there, many of you moms and dads, you do that for your children when they're younger. But I'll never forget this. Like my mom, I would open up my lunchbox and more times than not, there would be a little post-it note inside my lunch bag or my lunchbox. And my mom would write a little note to me and my brother and sister. When we were kids, she would always pack us our little lunch and she would write us a little note. And it would be, you got this, Corey, you're halfway through the day. Or it would be, hey, finish strong. You're almost done with your Tuesday. Or it would be, hey, I packed an extra snack in here. So maybe you can give it to somebody that doesn't have it at lunch or trade it for something you want. Or sometimes it would just be, I love you, son, mom. And I think about my mom putting those notes in and I don't remember a single time I came home and looked at my mom and said, thank you for that note in my lunchbox. But I'll tell you this. I remember those notes. They made an impact on me in my childhood. They helped me through my day. And what probably seemed like to my mom, an insignificant, like, man, I don't even know if they read these, overlooked, man, they never say thank you. Is this really even do anything? Undervalued, made a lasting impact on me and my siblings' life. What is that thing in your life? What is that area in your life today? Especially in a year like 2020, where you would say, man, this feels insignificant. It feels like it's not making an impact. Man, it feels undervalued. No one says thank you. Man, I'm doing the laundry day in and day out. Man, I'm paying this extra bill for my family day in and day out. And does my wife and kids ever say thank you? Does my husband ever say thank you? It seems like it's not even adding any value. 
What area of our lives feel like a Nazareth? We've got to start by naming our Nazareths. If we want to see God's favor in our lives, it starts most often in that Nazareth nowhere place. And so the first thing I wrote down here is if we want to see God's favor, we have to name our Nazareth. And so that's where God's favor is found. It's probably found in our Nazareth place. So if that's where it's found, how do we get God's favor in our lives? What do we do in our Nazareths? Proverbs chapter three, verses three and four say this, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Did you catch that? So where do we find favor? In our Nazareth. How do we find favor? We be steadfast. In other words, we don't quit, we persevere, and we be faithful in Nazareth. We be steadfast and faithful with those things in our lives that seem undervalued, overlooked, and insignificant. If we wanna see God's favor be poured out in our marriages, in our families, in our faith family, in our church, it starts by asking God, where's my Nazareth? Name your Nazareth today. And wherever that is, I would implore you, be steadfast and faithful. Don't quit, don't give up. That is exactly where God is watching to see if you and I are ready for his favor in our lives. But it gets even better. I mean, this passage just like continues to develop because what happens? It says the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he's like, you have found favor with God. And it says Mary freaks out. Side note, like almost every time an angel shows up in the Bible, one of the first things it says is do not be afraid. A lot of us are like, God, show me your angels. I want to see your angels. Angels are very scary. <laughs> and so sure enough, he shows up to Mary and he says, you have found favor with God. And she's freaked out. And she's like, what does this mean? And who are you? And then I love it. He goes on to explain, you're going to have a son and he's going to be the most high God in this, this amazing world changing plan. And how does Mary respond? Did you see it? It says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How does, how's that going to happen? Like, what are you talking about, Gabriel? That can't happen. I'm a virgin. Now, when we read that, we probably think, oh, sweet little Mary, you know, being so humble, you know, she's a virgin, like, oh, like that's, that's cute. But I don't think it's cute at all. I, I, I think actually Mary is being very human. I think Mary is responding the same way you and I do to God's favor on our lives. Because let me rephrase what she said. She said, how can this be for I am a virgin? Let me rephrase that. God, I can't do that because I am this. God, I can't do that because I am this. D does that sound more familiar? God says, man, I wanna do something amazing in your marriage. God says, man, I wanna work a miracle in your family. God says, man, I wanna take our church and impact not just city, but cities and countries. Like he's, he, he pours out his favor and his plan on our lives. And often many of us look back at him and says, God, and we say, God, that sounds great, but I can't do that because I'm this. God, I can't lead a small group at our church because I'm uneducated. I don't know. God, I, God, I can't step up and serve in this way because I don't know enough. God, I can't give and make a huge impact in resources because, God, I'm, I'm broke. God, I can't do that 
because I'm this. I wonder how many of us today in this Christmas season, God is waiting to pour his favor on you. He has called you to something greater. Maybe he's put that business plan on your heart. Maybe he's given you that vision for our local church. Maybe he's ready to take you to the next place. But we keep pulling a Mary and disqualifying ourselves. God, I can't do that because I'm this. And I love God's response via the messenger Gabriel because he doesn't even acknowledge what Mary says. Mary says, man, I can't do that because I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. In other words, it's going to happen, Mary, and you won't know how until it happens. Often God is calling us to something greater and we're like, God, I don't know how you're going to do that, but I'm just going to step out in faith. And when it happens, it happens. And then I'll figure it out. But I love this. He goes on and says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Did you see what God did there via the messenger Gabriel? Mary lacked faith. Mary recoiled and said, man, God, I, I know I've been faithful in, in my Nazareth, in my overlooked, you know, insignificant, undervalued area. And thank you for your favor. But I can't do that because I'm this. And Gabriel reminds her how God has already worked. He says, oh, yeah. And on top of God's plan for your life, let me tell you how God has already worked. You know, your relative that's really old and barren, well, she's prego. And if God can do that, guess what, Mary? Nothing is impossible with God. And I just wanted to come and tell some of you today, if God can work in the ways he has in the past, nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for your marriage. Nothing is impossible for your family. Nothing is impossible for our church. Because all we have to do is look back through scripture and say, if God can do that, he can definitely do this. Many of us don't even have to go to scripture. Many of us today, right now, right where you're at, if you sat down and took out a pen pencil and a paper or right there, you opened up an email and you started to write down everything God has pulled you through. Man, I didn't die. God got me out of that. Man, God pulled our relationship out of that. And look where I'm at today. If you will look back over how God has been faithful in your past, you will see how you can be faithful to God in your future. Because if he can do that, he can do this. I love that Gabriel comes alongside Mary and says, let me encourage your faith, Mary. You may be a virgin. You may think you are disqualified, but let me tell you how God has already worked. And if he can do that, nothing is impossible with God. Church family, I just want to tell you today, nothing is impossible with God. So it starts if we want to see God's favor in our lives, maybe like Mary, we got to name our Nazareth, that place that feels insignificant, overlooked, and undervalued. Then we have to be faithful and steadfast in that place, no matter who's watching, no matter what credit we're getting. And then we got to not disqualify ourselves but encourage ourselves that nothing is impossible with God. And what I love about God and the way he works is it's not just for us because there's this great verse out of Luke chapter two, and it's about Jesus when he's young. And it says in verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they, Jesus and his mom and dad and his family returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And here it is. And the favor of God was upon him. You know, we don't hear of Jesus outside of one 
little time when he's 12 years old and when he's born until he's about 30 years old. And for 30 years, where does it say Jesus grew in wisdom, strength, and favor? In the nowhere town, insignificant, overlooked, and undervalued place called Nazareth. Even Jesus grew in favor in Nazareth. And if God works that through Jesus, if he works that way through Jesus, how much more will he work that way in our lives? And think of it this way. Jesus spent about 30 years in Nazareth, and then he did three years of ministry. And for 30 years, hardly no one knew his name. And for 30 years, hardly no one knew what he was doing. And for 30 years, he was helping out his dad in carpentry. He was trying to be the best brother and he could be to his brothers and sisters. He was trying to be the best son he could be to his mom and dad. He was being steadfast and faithful in Nazareth. And God was growing his favor on Jesus' life. And then after 30 years, he did three years of ministry. Think of it this way. For every 10 years in Nazareth, Jesus had one year of ministry that changed the course of humanity. I don't know where your Nazareth is today, and I don't know how discouraged, tired, worn out you are, but I wanted to come and tell somebody today that we, like us at our church and our family and our marriages, like you, we want God's favor in our lives. We want God's favor for you. But God's favor is most often found in your Nazareth. Name your Nazareth today. Be steadfast and faithful in it. And remember, nothing is impossible with God. Right now, Overflow Church, many of you are going, man, that sounds amazing. But man, there's just so many areas that feel insignificant and overlooked and undervalued. I mean, a great example right now, like we're doing an end of the year offering called the greatest gift offering here at Overflow. And really all that is, is a chance for us to put Jesus in his right place. I, I said this last week, maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't, but could you imagine if a bunch of people showed up to your birthday party and they brought a bunch of gifts and then they just gave each other gifts and no one gave you one, even though it was your birthday? But isn't that what we do on Christmas? We celebrate the birthday of Jesus by giving each other gifts. What if this year we brought our greatest gift to Jesus? What if we put him first? And I, and I just want to thank you, Overflow family. I've only been here with you guys now for about a month and a half, but I've met so many of you and I've seen God's faithfulness in you and in this church. Many of you are such good stewards with your finances. You've continued in giving and being obedient with your tithes, but an offering is above and beyond our tithes. And I know what many of you are thinking, but Corey, I hardly have any money this year. Like, I'm gonna get my husband a $10 watch. That's amazing, do it and give Jesus $11. And you may go, but that feels insignificant. Feels like no one will notice that. Feels like they won't even value that. We'll probably not even look at it. But it's always with the insignificant, overlooked and undervalued that God does his best work. Some of you are like, man, Corey, that sounds awesome, man. I'm buying my, my kids a PS5. If that's the most expensive gift, if that's the biggest gift you're getting your family this year, your kids that PS5, that's awesome. What would it look like to give Jesus your greatest gift and put him first this year? And again, as I'm saying this, many of you are like, man, but I, my little bit won't make a big difference. It seems insignificant. It'll probably be overlooked. It doesn't have much value. And doesn't that sound just like a Nazareth? And again, this isn't a financial talk. 
But that's just one example of how when we come together in what seems insignificant and we bring our best and we're faithful and steadfast with it, God can work in amazing ways that we cannot even imagine. Overflow Church family, I just want to pray for you right now that God would help you identify and name your Nazareth, that he would strengthen and encourage you to be steadfast and faithful, and that you wouldn't disqualify yourself today, but rather you would remember how God has worked in your past and remember nothing is impossible with God and trust him to move in mighty ways in your future. Father, right now I do. I lift up our Overflow Church family. I thank you for them and how they've loved on me and just how you're working in this crazy season. And God, even though we're not gathered physically, God, I thank you that we are connected spiritually right now. And God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage all those watching that feel like they are in a Nazareth right now, that feel overlooked, God, that feel undervalued, that feel insignificant. God, I pray that you would encourage them to be faithful and steadfast. And God, as they are, I pray you would pour out your favor on our church family. God, I pray that you would pour out your favor on Overflow Church. Thank you, God, for those nowhere places and Nazareth places in our lives. Help us, Jesus, and thank you for how you're gonna do it. In your name we pray, amen.